Welcome to episode two of the Greek Speak podcast hosted by the Archon and the Greek. I'm the Archon and the Greek will be with me in a minute. The last episode saw us talk about the ancient world and how notions of the gods were made manifest back then. For today, we're going to dig into a more narrow subject that concerns some very well misunderstood concepts about the unseen realm, namely that of the soul and the spirit. So, yeah, without further ado, let's get things started. Godspeak has no political, religious, or commercial affiliations and is solely managed by myself, the Archon. So, I hope you enjoy our upcoming talk and thanks again for listening. Hello, Greek. You around? Greetings, yes. Yes, uh, we are around, yes. Indeed. We're meeting you and I, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, for episode two, we're going to examine one of the more fundamental ideas of esoteric knowledge, which is that of the spirit and the soul. Um, I think those are words that most people are happy to pull definitions from out of thin air. Um, either they just make something up or they parrot something that they heard in pop culture or religion and... I think it also seems lost on people why the distinction even matters. So um, we're going to look at that um, and some of the confusion that surrounds them. But before actually looking at what the terms mean, let's let's just look at the, the history a bit. Why is the distinction between soul and spirit important at all when you have, you know, entire schools of thought that seems to have done just fine for 2000 years without feeling obliged to demarcate that difference? Is there a reason why spirit and soul can't just be whatever ethereal concept people claim them to be? Well, uh, let's let's turn that question into a statement and leave it as that, right? Because <laughs> that's what that's what seems to be going on. And uh, uh, you know, uh, here let me just uh, take a little detour and then segue back, or segue and then we'll go, get back into this uh, uh, theme. Because the, the mindset, uh, as I've said before, is very important. And here, let's give an example. Without even using the psychological term of schizophrenia or whatever, you know, meaning dual-minded or uh, dual uh, whatever, uh, duality, because let's even leave the duality out of it. Hey, let's just give a, a, a standard format critique of society. Uh, generally, uh, if anyone's heard any Greek speak in the past, um, I always state how, uh, not directly but indirectly, how society at large, meaning almost every society, is anti-intellectualism. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, you know, the nerds, uh, you know, the the uh, the smart people, the bookworm, the egghead. Egghead means, you know, when you uh, beat up smart people, their heads crack open like eggs, right? They're weak. Um, the uh, it's generally an anti-intellectualism or anti-intellectual society. Um, that's that's it's more than a sentiment or an undertone. It's actually uh, uh, profoundly um, demonstrated. So, from uh, from that point of view, uh, there's something called uh, education. You know, the uh, the rudimentary grammar to the higher high what they call high school, and then they have the higher education. Uh, which is a joke, uh, university up to doctorate programs. So, so how can they be anti-intellectual yet almost offer as a standard that you must get a, go to college to get ahead in life? So, so what if they're anti-intellectual at heart and demonstrably anti-intellectual? Uh, why are they promoting education as being important? Is it a duality? No. Is it? Is it? Um, 
it would seem like a duality, but it's not a duality because education is not being offered. It's indoctrination. In other words, it's basically adapting people to the society or not even the rules, uh, the policies that happen to be employed at the time, right? Because it's very Alice in Wonderland. If anyone is dealt with anyone, any form of authority that's supposed to follow rules, they always tell you, well, we just do what we want anyway, you know, essentially. They don't say that publicly. but So let's go back to the, to the theme. The, the question that you asked, which I revert, uh, back to saying it should be made a statement. Uh, contrast that or compare it to a general anti-intellectual sentiment by humans, yet they say it's important to be educated. So is it dual duality and <clears throat> contradiction? No, because there is no education being offered. It's indoctrination. And actually, if anyone is, 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 does a little research, universities are, uh, are run by trustees and are uh, funded and managed by the state. Um, which is not the government, by the way. One day we'll talk about how the state and the government are two different things. Uh, but anyway, um, the trusteeship basically says that they're not there to educate, but they're there to create a willing uh, – let's say there are many ways it's been said. People that are willing to participate in what uh, uh, society they live in without asking questions, basically, you know preparing them for the workforce, preparing them to be quote-unquote professional. So I hope this sheds a little bit of light on how we're going to maybe tamp down a lot of the stuff that's been flying around uh, in terms of terminology, uh, spirit and soul. Yeah, that certainly does uh, provide a point from which people can adjust their perception of things and, and think through the matter. Um, but as far as like the distinction between the two, for a person who wants to find clarity about how the soul differs from the spirit, they would run into a lot of roadblocks with regards to the uncertainty that's surrounding those terms, and it, it almost does seem comically deliberate that no one knows what they mean given how much that they're used. That almost seems like a very active propaganda effort or just a very serious act of negligence on somebody's part to not really dig into that. Well, that's somebody being the collective known as society at large, yes and all the different fragmented sections of it, meaning the hierarchies and the, um, you know, whatever, the, the entitled all the way down to the uh, dis disenfranchised. I, I don't think there's any, um, there's any argument with anyone that any subject viewed objectively can be uh, discovered to be incorrect. Uh, in other words, can can be discovered that the way society thinks of what that subject is about is incorrect. Let's let's uh, let me just dig into the, uh, if you will, uh, you want to give me a, a, a few minutes, and I'll do the standard spiel uh, that I do when people. Um, I've been doing this for over two decades, uh, on, uh, under two decades, almost two decades, I should say. And just just give me a few minutes, and if the uh, I could borrow the the uh, attention of the listener, and they might want to play it back because it's uh, it's I'm going to give an itemized breakdown on the meaning of the spirit and the soul with example. Sure, of course, All go right. ahead. Okay, now uh, very simple. If you consider the uh, use of the word spirit, soul, and let's include the body here, the carne, meaning the Latin for flesh. Or material uh, which is animated 
we have to go back to how initially it was used or proclaimed to be used, and that's usually in what we call the ancient writs. Uh, whether it's the various Hindi Puranas, the Quran, the Bible, um, even myths and fables, um, old Sumerian texts, the, the, the concept of spirit, soul, and body are constantly being uh, used. So then we come forward into more modern times where you have literary mechanisms, uh, literary works all the way from Shakespeare, you know, up to Shakespeare, the Greek philosophers prior to Shakespeare, Shakespeare, even to now where you have soul food and soul music. So these words are being bantied about. No one knows what they mean. When I say no one, I mean statistically. 99.999% of the people don't know. Now, <clears throat> let's just take uh, an, a, a very uh, a simple example that that is actually the, the true way to look at it when you even look in, into other cultures. And what I mean is the Western culture has adopted the Greek and Latin basis for definition of words, especially in technical terms, medical and otherwise in scientific, it's the Greek prefixes and the Greek suffixes. So we see there is uh, there are two different words, uh, the soul and the spirit. Very simple. Let's just define the soul and the spirit uh, and the body very, very quickly uh, and then show how this is being used and how you are using it and what they really mean. Um, the, uh, three aspects of it, we'll, we'll, we'll make the, the examples of the body very short because that's just the carne, the flesh, the animated material part that, uh, is animated by the soul and the spirit. So the, the word, um, soul, when we refer to it, uh, from ancient texts and on, it's specifically used, uh, as a form of, uh, breath. Uh, something that is alive. And when we look at the word, the Greek word pneuma, uh, P-N-U prefix, um, we see it in technical uses as pneumatic, pneumonia, right? Um, you'll see things that move air, meaning physical air movement, metabolic, um, uh, use the word pneuma and the prefix uh, P-N-U in the Greek. And uh, or atmos, right? In Hindi, it's atmos, by the way, for soul. Um, <clears throat> so when you look at the soul, it is clearly um, and the animated part of the body. In other words, it's your metabolism. It's not only the breath. Like for example, if we take the biblical convention in the early uh, aspect with Adam, the the soul, the breath of the gods, was put into Adam, and then he became a living soul. So to be a living soul or to have a soul, it's not just breathing. Um, be, be, I'm, and I'm, I'm going to uh, emphasize this because in other places in the you'll through the discussion we'll see that the spirit is also defined as the wind, and not to be confused. <clears throat> but the soul is not only the breath, but it's the metabolism of the body. Meaning, another example of the metabolism of the body would be the all the involuntary. Uh, functions in the body, which is like the heartbeat, the nervous system, the digestive system, um, circulatory systems, you know, both lymphatic and blood and what have you. Um, all of these things, you know, you uh, have functioning, which defines something as being living, whether it's an insect, a plant, a human, a dog, a cat. This is the soul. It's not simply the breath. But when we look at how it works, if you want to remove the soul from something, you suffocate it, right? Right, asphyxiation, you, you attack the breath part of it. And then 
the asphyxiation results in the uh, cease of functioning of the other aspects of the metabolism or the soul, and then you uh, the, the the being is considered dead with no soul. Okay, so it's very very simple. Um, it's simply your breath. It starts with the breath, and it continues through the uh, everything that we consider something to be alive, which is metab metabolism, whether it's a plant metabolism, insect metabolism, what have you. Now, uh, let me give an example of it, because just staying on this for a little bit uh, without going to the definition of the spirit, I think, is helpful. So let's give a rudimentary example of... Um, someone uh, jumping into a swimming pool, their head hits the bottom of the pool, they don't come up, and the other bystanders pull the person out of the pool and they're not breathing, okay? So according to ancient writ, that person has no soul at this point because they're not breathing. And if they, and if they remain in that state of non-breathing, they will be declared dead eventually. So what happens is this person is brought uh, out of the water and uh, somebody has the idea that they should try to resuscitate him someone who, who is alive and breathing. So what they do is they perform um, resuscitation techniques where they open the mouth and they breathe in, work on the chest, so forth. They're putting their soul now, their breath, their nefesh, their pneuma, their atmos, into that body which lacks one and invigorates that body to now be breathing on its own and now it has its soul back because it did lose its soul, right? But it didn't lose its soul in the way that one does uh, as, as, as is, is spoken of in society. That's why what, what, what I'm going to go through here is so con contrast to what people think. It's, it takes a little bit more review um, on what I'm saying and, other, and even more examples. So now we have someone that has no soul that got a soul from someone else. And now that they're... they're they are revived after this revival te resuscitation technique. Now they are a living soul on their own because it, they're, they're functioning. They can stand up now and they're like, thank you very much. You see, so all of our souls are interchangeable. Well, a simple way to look at our souls being interchangeable is guess what? We're all breathing the same air. If you have a dog, a cat, a dolphin, a cockroach, a human, uh, a butterfly, uh, or a snake in the room, you're all, all of your souls are interchangeable, right? You're breathing the same air in that room and you have a metabolism that works. And if one of you stops breathing, another creature could try to resuscitate by putting their soul into that other being. This is a very empirical, rudimentary definition. You know, it's, it's so shocking how simple it is. So I hope that uh, I'm going to just pause there for a minute. If you have any comments so far, uh, otherwise I'll continue to the spirit. No, I don't have any comments. I'll let you finish up and then uh, we'll just tackle it once we'll you're discuss. over. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Now the use is complex, the use of the soul, as you can imagine, because what does soul food have to do with that? Or that person's got soul. You ever heard like in uh, the Afrocentric artists, whether they're on the continent or Western Europe or in, in the Americas, they're considered soul music, soul dancers, soul food as a culture. You know what, like somebody else doesn't have a soul if they're not into soul. You see, it just means they have a more, uh, it's the quality of there, right? When you say soul food or soul music, it's just a, a term. It really has no connection to this definition, but it just shows you how there's a desperate attempt to use the words and they could catch on and not have anything to do with the subject matter. 
excuse me. So uh, if you take on uh, that definition and go back and read the ancient Puranas, the Bhagavad Gita, the Bible, any any in, ancient text, if, especially if you're a student of any of these things, you'll start see, to see things more plainly. So let's continue to the uh, spirit. And again, uh, the body, uh, I'm not going to get into much, but it requires the soul to be animated because once it stops breathing and the soul dies, then the body goes into chemical decomposition, right? So the spirit, what's what's the spirit? Uh, in a lot of the, in Arabic, it's uh, the ruk or an Egyptian ruk, uh, ruach in Hebrew, uh, I forgot what it is in the um, in the Sanskrit, but you'll have that uh, a different word uh, for the spirit, and in the Greek it's the uh, psyche or the psyche, the p s y prefix, uh, the mind, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, so, so you have psychiatry, psychopath, psychotic, uh, all of all of these things have to do with the mind. It's very interesting because the spirit is a immaterial, completely immaterial. Um, there is no function that the spirit has that that is anything like the soul at all whatsoever. It does not have any physical traits. It is purely uh, what you call the personality of someone, the character of someone, and it's also purely the way information is handled, transmitted, qualified, and could be quantified also. So let's just uh, do a simple analogy of the spirit. It's what makes you you. So <clears throat> what makes someone's personality them, the way they speak, the way they are, their character, their personality, the, the identifying element in a being, even if you're raising cats or dogs, you'll notice they're not, they're like people in a way. They all have very different personalities because they have very different spirits, but they all share the uh, same soul, not the same soul in each body, but they're, they're interchangeable where the spirits are not. And we'll get into that later on. <clears throat> so you'll see the psyche, the PSY being used over and over has to do with the mind. It's funny when you talk to a psychologist, say, oh, so you're a spiritualist. And they don't know what you're saying. They don't even know the definition of their own profession. Um, and I'm saying they're I'm not saying that there may not be one that is, but I think of over almost 100 psychologists or psychiatrists that I've approached with that statement have looked at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so. And by the way, when you hear the term doctor, they're not really doctors in reality. They're just technicians because a doctor is a teacher and an expert in their field. I just wanted to throw that little dig in there. So let's let's just move on forward with some examples of the spirit. Let's say you have a CD or a vinyl record or a, or a tape, cassette tape or reel-to-reel -reel tape of a song of music. And you give it to a material analyst, whether it's the CD, the vinyl disc, magnetic tape, what have you. He's going to come back with a report, a couple of pages long, on how the size and shape and chemical constituents and uh, geometric constituents of the tape, the CD, or the vinyl record. He cannot tell you what is being encoded there. Let's say it's, I don't know, Bach, um, you know, the composer. And you say, well, look, you know, you give me all this information, but can't you see that this is just, you know, um, some classical music? And he says, no, I can't see it with all my research. So you take out, if it's a CD, you put it in a CD player or a computer. If it's a record album, you play it on a phonograph, you know, record uh, turntable. And if it's a magnetic tape, you run it through that appropriate machine. And all of a sudden it starts to play music. 
because now you have the spirit of the, the material information coming through what it was designed to be played through. So the spirit is completely intangible. So when you're holding, let's say, um, even a, a one of these, uh, well, now it's all MP3 players on the phones and computers, that is completely intangible unless you have an in analog interface with it and you start playing the music. Uh, if you look at a music file on a computer, it's just bits and bytes. You can't tell it's music well unless it's, of course, identified as such in the labeling somehow or you're familiar with the code until it's played. And each song or track that you have from various artists or whatever sound different and convey different information. That's how the spirit is. The spirit is purely the mind. And w by the way, the type of spirit that the humans and most creatures on the earth have is in order for it to be animated or plugged in or working, you must have a living body and a living soul, something that is uh, animated. Um, so that is a simple definition. And by the way, if you if the spirit is removed from the from the physical body with with a functioning soul, does the person die? And this might be a little advanced, but I can say no very confidently. You can have someone that has a soul and a living body and not have a spirit. It is possible. I think there's still something there. An example of the spirit going into disanimation is sleep. Sleeping without dreaming. You go to sleep, whether you're sleeping for four hours, six hours, or eight hours, you wake up. There is no concept of the magnitude of time because the spirit is completely disanimated. But the soul is still functioning. If the soul is disanimated, then the body uh, asphyxiates and starts going into chemical decomposition or rots and, and is, can easily be declared dead. So, uh, again, I haven't gone into the body much, but the soul, again, is your breath and metabolism, which is the, all the other functions that uh, are used to define something that is fit and alive. And the spirit is the mental capability or mental functioning, which is the personality and the character of that being. And it's actually more unique because the spirit is discrete to that being where the soul is not. So to give another a degree of interchangeability is you can have organ transfer in a human from human to human. As long and even when one of the humans, their soul dies and the body dies before it goes into chemical decomposition, that part of the body can be animated in another living soul where the spirit, as far as we know, cannot. Of course, again, this might be a little advanced for this part of the talk, but when you hear of demonic uh, or possession, when someone uh, is possessed, that would be uh, another spirit in someone else's body, and their spirit is put into disanimation. But that we can get into that later. So those are the three definitions, uh, or the definitions of the soul and the spirit and the body. Uh, and I hope this encourages uh, there people to look into it a little deeper and see what uh, kind of confusion has been laid out and ambiguity. And, and it is deliberate, by the way. Uh, it, it was deliberate a long time ago, and, and we can talk about why it's deliberate and how obviously deliberate to uh, prevent the meaning of those things to be known. So I'm going to yield. And uh, any anything else uh, I should, you know, any further comments on what I've just said? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to dig into it a bit more narrowly. Um, thank you for the monologue, Greek. It, it certainly does take a load off of me having to come up with questions to cover the topics. Um, but I take it that these 
aren't thoughts that you've pulled from your fancy. Like, what sources have you found that offer the most reliable pathway into researching these things? Did you get it from esoteric writings or philosophical treatises or... Not at all, but just by observation. In other words, if you're driving down the street and you see white lines in the road and yellow lines, how did they come up with that? I don't need to go and speak to the people. How did they make a white line in the road and a yellow line in the road? I know enough about paint that if you need yellow paint, you just add a tint to the white and it becomes yellow. You see, it's a very simple way to approach uh, uh, anything. If you know enough about something, you could know more about other things and how it's being applied and used. I think I gave enough examples uh, on how to discover this, uh, how I think the examples that I gave embody the discovery, the elements of discovery as well. But um, out of all the ancient material, what traditions would you say have best preserved those definitions or depictions of spirit and soul all, on their own? All of them. There's no definition why the sky is blue. And they tell people in graduate uh, classes still that the, uh, the sky is blue because of the reflection of the water from the oceans. I mean, so ridiculous, right? So uh, that's color theory. We, we can explain that. And, and how did you come up with that? Well, it's color theory. If you understand how things are defined um, and how they should be defined based on their usage, especially when it's common cross-culturally and cross-time, right? And by the way, it's being misused uh, in a frantic way and interchanged. Even if you look up the definition of spirit and soul, they interchange them. And it's a deliberate uh, mi uh, mix-up. It's a deliberate ambiguity. But I mean, I guess the way that someone might discredit that is to say, well, then this guy's just going off of anecdotal evidence and what he says is his own observation, which is somewhat subjective. And maybe it is intuitive what he's saying, but like, really? You didn't go to any well, sources? Well, if they discredit it, a simple way to discredit it is to discredit it at your own demise. And I mean, you're at your own willing, uh, willful, willful ignorance if you discredit it. You're, you're welcome to discredit it. I invite people to consider these things. Uh, these examples and and what I just mentioned, I don't think they they'll they, well one percent of the people that hear this will consider it and one percent of those people will actually see it, and that that goes with pretty much any subject matter. So this is not to get credit or anything or to argue about it. If you feel that uh, uh, the way it's been defined and you define it is fine, then do it at your own peril, meaning you won't be able to see anything else. I mean, in any other uh, work that common words that have been mixed up. Look, uh, a simple way to look at it is the definition of the word nice and how it's being used and what it really means. What's your source on that? Well, where do we go find the source of that? Well, etymology, even a, a regular dictionary, which is not meant to give uh, deep meaning. It's just uh, meant to give diction, right? How to pronounce the word. Still say, says stupid and foolish, many of them but it's used, turned around to be used as pleasant. So those are the three components that make up any living being. Even if you have plants and grow a garden, you'll notice one tomato plant has a different character than the one next to it. Yeah, and I'm talking about a, a tomato garden uh, that you've you know, seeded and grown at the same time. Right? There's a, a very fine spirit in that as well. The spirit is the is the essence, meaning the personality, character, information. It's pure information animated uh, through the body and the soul. And the source on that is uh, a good rational thought 
good rational investigation. That's the source. The source is too many sources. All the sources state that. When you start to get into what's called academia or, or scholastic uh, study and all that, that's where you're going to find the ambiguity because it's a very heavily protected area. And I've said this, this is the, probably the fourth or fifth time I've said that. The reason why it's important, the definition of those three things that make up most living things, if not all living things, are ambiguous. Because if you know, if you get a grasp on one or two, maybe you're okay, but if you get a grasp on all three, you're not going to put up with a lot of quote-unquote BS because you're going to be able to define your being. It's very important not to be able to define yourself. Uh, you know, if you're going to, in other words, it's very important that the, the population at large cannot define itself if it is to be controlled. Right? Go ask anyone to define anything. Anyone. doesn't matter what level of education they have difficulty with it and they always go it's opinion is 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 promoted but truth and definition is frowned upon just like the anti-intellectual sentiment mm. well then i think we'll dig into specifically what these two things are at a bit of a deeper level and i i will say as sort of my own exhortation to sort of mirror what you've just gone through that when you dig into these things yeah, the choice of the words kind of becomes a little less important than the concept behind them. Because so, like soul in English, from what I'm finding, it doesn't linguistically trace back to what the academics say that soul is in Greek or Hebrew. And I don't think that there's any way to find consistency in the linguistical lineages of those words because they switch from language to language sometimes. Um, so the, the concept that the Greek has laid out is certainly more helpful than to get bogged down in the dogma of, of the etymology. When they speak about soul in the English and spirit, they're usually giving a qualitative uh, theme. They never give a quantitative theme or a delineating theme. That's part of the ambiguity. Yes, I have noticed that also. Like so, he is a bad soul or he is a good soul, but they can't define soul. So I just tell him, shut up and sit in the corner for about five minutes and rewind what the Greek just said and listen to it about a hundred times. Yes, well, hopefully, if you're, if you're just a little sharp, you won't need a hundred times. Maybe once or twice will be fine. Uh, yeah, actually, after the third time, if you don't get it, you should move on to something else, like Walt Disney or whatever. So, um, let's let's start with this the the spirit then, um, as a sort of deep dive. The word that gets rendered as that in the Semitic languages is ruach, and then once you get into the Greek and the Latin, it kind of goes off in different directions. Latin, I found, has two very similar words for spirit and soul, which is anima, which I found to be the life breath, and animus, meaning the mind. And I think that that created some confusion even for the Romans, because Cicero writes in one of his books, some would say the soul or the spirit is the anima. So I, I think that the reversal of meanings may have occurred in the Latin translations of Greek writings, where mind and life breath get switched around. So now the academics will tell you that pneuma means spirit and Psyche in Greek means soul. How were you able to detect that something wasn't right in the definitions? Did someone bring that to your attention, or is it just again observation? Never. Uh, it never brought to my attention. If they, if someone did, I wouldn't be speaking, and I would say, "Go listen to that person." The only reason I do sonic events, I call them sonic events, is because I'm ashamed to be human at this point, and because no one else is saying these things, I better say it so no one will point a finger at me later say, hey, you knew this and you didn't say anything. I have no responsibility uh, to, to, to uh, 
to be in this position. It's basically for my save my own skin if need be. Uh, it goes into the meme that I used to pose and say, if you do good for selfish reasons, well, it's still good, isn't it? So I would just suggest that uh, the, the perfect example of the ambiguity and the, the just the sheer ignorance that seems to be the convention, remember it's an anti-intellectual society, is that the very simple uh, rule that the PSY prefix is used to have to do anything with the mind solidifies that argument or that example quite well. And anything with the PNU prefix has to do with the movement of air solidifies that argument and is a paramount in example as well. And those terms were the PSY and the PNU, meaning psyche, and pneuma, meaning air or soul, were specifically chosen and are super consistent in the English as as they are in the Greek, by the way, even though the the translations have been you know played around with enough that that no one even uh, considers that that they have been so screwed up. Yeah, I think it's um, interesting how that consistency stays in the English and you find it in the Greek, but then when you go to the in between languages like particularly Latin, it disappears, and I think that becomes a point of criticism. Like, um... well, within the Greek itself, uh, the Greek convention has been within the Greek, not how it's used in the English, but the Greek within the Greek has been passed around like a cheap prostitute or a cheap whore. In other words, what's left in Greek is rubbish, unless you go back into the older. the The, the last thing you're going to find anything worthwhile in the Greek is maybe in the fifth century. Everything else after that has been screwed around with. Uh, and it, just to add prestige, uh, most of the stuff that you read uh, has been uh, has gone from Greek to Latin to English, back to Latin, back to Greek, just to have prestige. Um, it's it's kind of played out. There there is an empirical definition of these terms that has been uh, transmitted in the English, where psyche has to do with the mind and pneuma or soul has to do with the movement of air, that has been kept and kept relevant and consistent, which is correct, by the way. I mean, when I say passed around like a cheap whore, how many times have you heard of, oh, Socrates said, Plato said, Pythagorean said, and people, uh, you know, just like, um, for example, you can say anything to an American if you have a British accent because they find it to be wonderful, right? That aspect of the of the psyche of the American or the Western psyche, if you're speaking English, you have to. If someone you know appears with the Queen's English, well, they're vastly superior, of course. So they're they're vastly it, knowledge is vastly superior if it's uh, um, presented with a Greek quote. But you know, people uh, think all these philosophers were so good, but because of what they what's been put in front of them through you know, popular culture, but if they actually study a lot of these philosophers, they're very misanthropic, by the way. In other words, they did not like the public. They thought the public was vile uh, and um, did not care about their edification whatsoever. So, <clears throat> again, it's just, it's just crap. You know, it's funny you should mention that they, how misanthropic some of the philosophers would be. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later because I found some interesting stuff on that as well. But yeah, so the Greek is what it is. In terms of the Latin, I found, based on reading commentaries and some interlinear versions of Virgil's writing, that yes, that the anima meant the mind, what the psychologists call the psyche today, 
And even in languages like French and German, they have words for spirit that are synonymous with mind, like the French uh, esprit, meaning mental faculties. But do you have any um, idea or inkling as to why sometimes things get very ambiguous in Latin translations? Like even the Bible is known for being notorious um, in its problems with the Latin Vulgate. Okay, let's just take the King James as an example. If anyone does their research, which is getting harder and harder as time goes on, um, I'll bring up the, when you say the Bible, I'm going to bring up the King James. King James was not even a king of England. He was called the king because he was the top man, but he was considered a regent. He had no nobility within the uh, within the, the British crown system. And I'm talking about the crown then, not the crown now, which is different. Uh, he was Scottish, I believe, and he came in to fill in because there was a blank spot. He wanted to uh, perform some kind of act that would drive a wedge between the monarchy and the common people. And that wedge was very simple. Um, instead of deifying uh, the nobility and the royalty in England uh, or the British Empire, uh, let's make a uh, cheap, a readily available version of the Bible. Notice not a translation, but a version that will be spread around and create not... Um, not just have one godhead, which would be the uh, the king or the queen, but we'll have another godhead known as just God, right? <laughs> God, uh, we'll have God, Satan, uh, a couple of demons, a couple of angels, and Jesus. And that's what we're going to throw in to throw a wedge, because the people had no access to this. It was in Latin. It was forbidden to study, right, uh, prior to King James. So he did that. Uh, uh, as a project, and it was not just him, it was named after him, uh, to throw, drive a wedge uh, into society that would never recover. Because when you have a, a, a common plebeian, uh, common oaf, common quote-unquote citizen or subject uh, that has no knowledge of the spiritual world other than some vague ancient superstition, they will always view their nobility and the royalty as their god. They may not say that's my God, but they sure give all of their, you know, in spiritual intent in that direction. So giving them a version, uh, a really poor version, by the way, a uh, mixed up version with a lot of uh, satanic, quote unquote, symbolism in it uh, to the people will drive a wedge that will it will never recover from. Uh, and also drive a wedge into the emperor and to the Vatican as well, which, you know, are malevolent institutions, like it or not, or know it or not. So was it a good thing? Mm, yeah, it was kind of a good thing to drive a wedge, I guess. But is, is the King James Bible a good thing? No, it's not. It's a political tool. Now, I'm not going to get into what they did in the King James. They wanted uh, too much. But, for example, how the Latin plays a role in this is they, they wanted to say uh, formally and informally and statistically that their New Testament was translated from Greek text, and they couldn't find any. So they found the Latin text, which they translated back into Greek, which then they translated into English. So, so it's like making a copy of a copy and then another copy of that with on different machines on different days as you're walking in the rain. So it's just really not good. But here's the thing. The, the, a lot of people have mentioned the holographic uh, analogy of the biblical text. 
no matter how much you try to screw it up, if you're paying attention, the, the general meaning, the general correct meaning, not the specific meanings, but the general correct meaning comes through. Like, for example, if you read the King James, as it is, without an interlinear, and without really looking to many definitions, you will see that what <clears throat> Judaism, uh, Christianity, all the sisters of Christianity, you know, the thousand versions, let's just say there's three or four major ones, or whatever, or, or the ver versions of Judaism that are supposed to be in the Old Testament, are all incorrect. None of them are based on the biblical text. They say they are, but they're not. So even if you just adhere to the King James Version, uh, you, it would be a good, a good enough reason to abandon um, what's known as the conventional religions, right? So th that's what I mean about the holographic nature of it. If you actually go beyond the King James and do some study on the, on the let's say, oldest preserved texts, you will not only... Uh, abandon any religion, conventional religion, but you will find it to be repugnant. I just wanted to put that out there because that's the moral of the story. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like we, we got wrapped up in the Bible tangent. I, I didn't mean to overemphasize that. But <clears throat> in this case, I did want to also look at the way that, you know, specifically before the King James, you had the Latin Vulgate just being such a wealth of disinformation that I think fed back into the King James also. Um, there are certain right. words that, you know, like the Lucifer Convention, it's so ridiculous that it even exists, but it comes up in the Latin from seemingly nowhere. And I think that that plays into this idea of spirit and soul being interchanged, that something must have happened where people just weren't paying attention with that language. Right. Just because something has endured thousands of years doesn't mean it's true or correct. Right. Because ultimately, the gist of having these talks is to make people aware that uh, uh formative beings known as the gods, the angelic realm, the you know, the, the realm of the gods, they're not born and they don't live and they don't die like humans do. A thousand years to them is like a day to us or to most of them. So if you screw up for a day, that's things being screwed up for a thousand years. If you screw up for two days, that's two thousand years. If you screw up for three days, it's three thousand years and so on and so forth. So things can stay screwed up for 100,000 years. That wouldn't be a big deal, right? So don't fall for that, right? The, uh, what makes it easy to become misanthropic is that how the majority of the people on this planet, both um, that have lived and died and that are still alive and ones that aren't alive that are coming, sh do not so much as even lift a finger to consider anything that you know we've just... Uh, brought up on on this sonic that's what makes it so easy to be misanthropic um their their sheer apathy and you know they they just revel in their ignorance because that's the norm right just like if you went to an island of cannibals that's the norm so anyway to go back to the latin i i wouldn't uh, lean heavily on the latin at all uh, because the latin goes in many directions it's uh, very secular it's used in um in art, uh, in, it's used in um, in the quote-unquote legal system because it's designed to confuse, right, um, uh, and deceive, and it's um, part of the Roman convention. And the Roman convention, uh, if one objectifies Earth history, is a very small aspect of it. You know, the Near East 
and Far East and uh, non-Latin European is far more influential on human society than the Roman convention. It just seems to be uh, the most propagated one at the moment and for the past couple of hundred years, let's say, or more, let's say 500 years. Again, which if you if you learn to think in thousand-year swaths of time, you'll see things more clearly also. Well, let's wrap up the subject of the spirit just by looking a little bit at what the Semitic lit- literature says about it as far as Ruach. So on one hand, you've talked about Ruach or the spirit being related to the mind or the person themselves, but you, you can't really avoid the parallelisms in languages like Latin, Hebrew, Greek, and even the Proto-Indo-European where the spirit, and you did mention this, all have this sort of air-related inflection, right? So it's not just a cognitive thing. Um, And if we look even in the biblical text, Genesis 7, everyone who had the breath of the spirit of life in his nostrils, they all died in the flood, right? So not just the spirit of life, but the breath of the spirit of life. You know, I know in the New Testament, the Christ talks about the the wind a bit, and as far as the the power of the, the Most High God being something similar to that, can you expand a little bit on what the relationship is between the Ruach and the, the wind? I've never really been able to put that together. Well, the wind, uh, it's very simple. Um, there is something in the New Testament where Nicodemus approaches the Christ, and there's something about being born again, not of woman or flesh, but of the spirit, which is like the wind. It's like the wind. Uh, many times people get confused, you know, where, where it says, you know, his hair was as white as wool. He didn't, it wasn't like, wool. It was just as white as wool, right? So it could have been straight hair. We don't know. It's just the color. So the comparison of the wind is uh, in ancient times was that you don't see the wind, you just see its effect. It's kind of like um, the radio waves in the ether, which are penetrating, they're penetrating waves, right? Whether you have the, whether you're either side of the wall, your cell phone uh, will receive or television or radio, right? They're penetrating waves, right? You don't see them or feel them, but when you have the proper device, it will animate that, and you'll get the information that is penetrating along with that wave, right? The spirit is very much the same way. It's a thought form. It's information. The, the, and for example, you have a creator who created all things. So the spirit that went behind into making the mountain or the ocean is a different spirit that went into making man or the fox, or the wolf, or the elephant, meaning a different mindset. Imagine someone who has 10 different hobbies with 10 non-related, sub, you know, uh, uh, unrelated things. There is a different mindset with each one. You can have a hobby of playing tennis, uh, miniature trains, uh, aquarium, fish, growing fish, and those three things are completely unrelated. But you're the same spirit, with a different spirit when you're applying a different part of your spirit with the spirit of the miniature train, the aquarium, or the spirit of playing tennis. You hear, you see the word being used in that intangible, ethereal way. I'm saying ethereal uh, because it's intangible. We, we don't know what it is, but we see its effect. So you, you see things the spirit of, right? It, just you could add anything to it. You'll see it used in, in English language constantly in the spirit of such and such. Right. It's a mindset. When you when you say that it relates to a particular character, a particular personality, a particular way. It's just like you can walk into a record store 
if you took all the sleeves and all the labels off the vinyl and stacked up all the vinyl records from floor to ceiling and the whole back wall, they're indiscernible from each other until you play them. You need a labeling on them, right? And an album cover to see what's inside. But if even if you remove the labeling, that doesn't change the spirit. It doesn't change what's been recorded on them. Yes, I follow you there. Um, I've also noticed, just to wrap up on this uh, spirit topic, that the Ruach also gets used to talk about people in emotional terms sometimes, like Numbers 5, like if a spirit of jealousy passes over him so that he's jealous of his wife, blah, blah, blah. Now it seems to be referring to a Ruach that almost is almost like external, that comes in and inflicts an emotional or psychological condition. Like, what's that about? Well, a spirit would be a spirit. Like, for example... um... The most high God is a spirit. The angels are a spirit. But, you know, if you said an angel came by and gave him that kind of uh, feeling or emotion, uh, you'd say it was an angel, right? But an angel is a spirit, but we don't consider him as such because he's a multi, not a multi-purpose. He's a spirit like a postman. He just delivers messages, right? And does things also. Like a postman, you know, can turn off the water hose if you left forgot it running but his main, main job is to be a postman. So that spirit of jealousy is, instead of an angel, which, which is to be a messenger to humans, this spirit of jealousy is just the spirit of jealousy. That's his job, like uh, you know, a, someone who's a painter, house painter, that's your job, I'm a house painter, or a hair cutter, or a chef, a cook. That's the spirit, you see, they, that's their single job. And just harken back to all those ancient primitive native people, right? They they uh, had uh, they uh, paid tribute, uh, ritualistic tribute to the spirit of the river, the spirit of the bear, the spirit of the sky, the spirit of fire, the spirit, right? Everything in the uh, material world, uh, let's say the earth, has a spiritual counterpart to it. Okay. So like an active element that's associated with that thing that's sentient. Right, right. But it's non-material, which is very difficult to uh, for people to contemplate. When you, when, let's go back to the beginning of what I said. that You live in an anti-intellectual society. I, I would wager with anyone listening or will listen to this that if you start approaching anyone that you know, family, friends, co-workers, whatever – on this planet about looking into these things there 99% of the people you approach is will will reject it and their criticism of you wanting to pursue these things is you're going too deep that stuff will make you crazy oh no one cares about that those are the typical you know hot, you know things that you're going to get being in this society right so again this, when you're listening to this if you're going to contemplate these things you're going to be part of a very elite group um, uh, but, uh, but not here. In other words, uh, the more you study and the more you learn of it, it, in a simple, rational way, uh, there's a guy on YouTube called Ken Wheeler. He talks about magnetism, brilliant on the magnetic stuff and whatever. He's very Buddhist, by the way. Um, he says nature is very simplistic. Nature is not this, um, you know, a crack whore with a calculator. She's got hairy legs and hairy armpits, and she's got dirt under her fingernails, and she's very simple, you know, Mother Nature, right, kind of thing. And he's absolutely correct about that. So there's a spirit behind that as well. There's a spirit of simplicity. There's a spirit of wisdom. You know, the, I don't want to even say the word Sophia because the Gnostics have overused it. Talk about a group of, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, people that try too hard, right? The Gnostics. But anyway, they have no knowledge. That's the that's the interesting thing of it. It's like when you um, when they when they talk about making the environment better, you know, generally in society, that means they're fixing and destroying it. When they when there's a group formed for economic recovery or economic progression that means they're going to destroy the economy when you have a group that says they hold knowledge like the gnostics means they're going to destroy knowledge right so bear that in mind whenever you see an organized group so anyway i've been i've been going back and forth uh within the subject matter and outside of the subject matter to show people that they need to relax about these things do their homework go cut down to the root right get down to the base of it and um Look at how these things are being used and their initial meaning. If you if you are Christian or Jewish or you know any of the major religions, you think there's only one God and one angel or two couple of angels, sorry, because there are a few mentioned, and a Messiah, and that's it. It's really lonely with a lot of tumbleweeds and stuff. You're you've been deceived. The uh, the non the spiritual world, yes, I said spirit world, the non-corporeal beings as we consider them to be corpor what is corporeal or physical is, if not trillions, of millions and billions of times and trillions of times more populated than the physical world. It is extremely dense. In other words, if you could see into that world, the sky would be blacked out. That's how many beings would be over us. And and if you're in a let's say a regular sized room, if you were to see in the spiritual room, it would be shoulder to shoulder, completely full from floor to ceiling, from beings that are a millimeter tall to beings that are ten times taller than your house outside. This is not a, a time for people to be aware of these things because uh, contemplating this does not help you in this in this existence right now. Well, cool. Let's uh, move on to the soul aspect as far as looking at a few things more um, pointedly. So, yeah, there seemed to be consensus in ancient Greece that pneuma refers to air-related phenomena. Um, mm -hmm. In Stoic philosophy, they claimed that the pneuma was this active generative principle that organized not only the human being but the whole universe by structuring matter. I don't know if they went overboard with that, but I did want to ask like, what you know about that idea, because it's a reoccurring motif in fantasy narratives that the biological world draws some kind of sustenance from like a global life stream. And I'm wondering if maybe there's a connection there. Well, the problem with looking into that is how well are you versed in ancient or classical Greek? And if you say no, then you're subject to the versions that are put out. Um, there's enough empire in the world that its intent was to control people by make, keeping them miserable, that also is part of the academic world. So there's no way you're going to uh, get what the Stoics said unless you are able to find the oldest preserved document and delve into it in its original language. Uh, I assure you, 99% of the time, what's being given to you as a translation is not correct. It's corrupted for specific reasons. It's like, for example, reading the laws of your country and then watching uh, your local, you know, watching the news, BBC or CNN, to tell you what the law says. Completely different, right? Or what a, a lawyer will tell you the law says. They're going to take out the parts that they want, right, and leave out the rest. But in essence, uh, what the Stoics did, like many other Greeks, they went on kind of, I, I maybe, I'm not part of that tradition, but I like giving examples to illustrate and demonstrate the mindset behind the definition or the, the word or the subject matter. Uh, very often in ancient 
times you would read some of the philosophers. I can't give a specific example, but it seems to be a generality. Uh, they they would give a metaphor an example and then give a metaphor an example for the for the metaphor in the example and the reader if if it doesn't doesn't follow to what degree the explanation has expanded into will get lost. But in essence, to answer your question, they, I think they I don't think they went too far. I think they just elaborated to the point where uh, it, it 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 over overlaps the creative force which things were made. But the subtleness of Defining it as air-related activity and the spirit being like the wind are completely two different things, and it's analogy, whether it's by design or not, to throw off what these things mean it, it exists, still exists, by the way, because the spirit being compared to its action being like the action of the wind will very easily confuse a simpleton when he looks over at the soul being with air-related phenomenon. And when I say simpleton, I mean that in a... In a uh, in a in a in its fundamental sense, not as a pejorative. Okay, just a simple person, simple layman. Yes, right, and and that's why that's where see if you can confuse the simple layman, then you've succeeded because ninety nine percent of the people uh, have been brought up in a society where they just need to work, and if they don't work one specific narrow aspect of the society to get food and shelter, they're going to die. You see, that's a simpleton, right? That's the you know the the modality that most people have, mm. and also the simpleton is very trusting and naive. So if he a simpleton wants to know, let's say about the stars, he'll go to an astrophysicist, and of course, they're they're an astrophysicist. Of course, they know, right? And you know if you study astro, what they're saying, that's all bunk. Same with a doctor, same with a priest or a rabbi or you know a lawyer. They're all bunk. It's whatever. Is the whatever they're showing on TV, they have to portray as being the reality. You know, it's backwards. That's why I tell people, why bother going to college? Just watch TV, because they can't show something on TV that's contrary to what they're teaching in college. And the TV is more important than the college, so the college just textbooks are just based on what they show you on TV. It's all bunk. Now I'm starting to sound like the ancient Greek philosophers. It's all bunk. Even all the show me a, a Greek philosopher that didn't say that everything they teach in school is a lie. All of them did. Yeah, and we're still going to get into the the way that some of them operated because it was quite interesting how they said one thing in private and then a different thing to the masses. Um, but just to stay on the subject of the Stoics or the Stoics. Um, By the way, just to interrupt, they very rarely related to the masses. It's what their critics and their other followers said to the masses. Uh, uh, <laughs> Greek philosophers at heart avoided the masses. They, it, yeah, I just wanted to put in, interject that in there. They never interacted. Well, they might have, but it might. It would be kind of like what I do if I'm interacting with the masses. It's out of necessity. So the pneuma for the Stoics was this mixture of moving air and fire or slash warmth, which kind of worked together to generate this vital principle that they talk about. And so in their mind, the idea is that you have this union of heat and moisture, which has positive health effects, where the opposite is that when things dry up and become cold, that signifies death, like what happens with a corpse or a dead plant. Like, do you know anything about that sort of wet, warm, cold, dry process to elaborate on that at all? Well, in this part of the, let's say, universe, there's a certain temperate, we call temperate zone that things tend to exist in. Uh, for example, you can, you know, the elephant in the room analogy, there could be life forms um, in things uh, and emerging from things that are considered azoic. 
meaning without life, they're just not acknowledged. Just like, for example, if you look at uh, contemporary chemistry, there are, there are many more chemical compounds and elements that are acknowledged than there were, let's say, 300 years ago. So is it proper to deny their existence 300 years ago? No, but it seemed to, right? Uh, I think that discussion is a little bit more elaborate. And if we get into what we call like the ether study or ether technology or the very super ultra fine aspects of existence, we could bring up the warmth and cold combinations because I have much to say about that as well. But if you have a deep understanding or a, a, even not a deep understanding of water and how it's an anomalous liquid, right? Uh, you will see that the it's it's uh, hand in hand with what you just asked. All right, cool. Um, and so again, like we did with spirit, I think the last thing to just touch on here is the Semitic aspect. When we turn to that usage, the word nefesh comes to encompass the the soul. But again, when you look in the biblical text, it seems to get a bit broad at some points. Like in um, some statements it seems to refer to the entire living person like genesis 12 abraham took his wife sarah and every nephesh or soul that they had acquired and went into the land of canaan at other points it seems to refer to corpses that have no um pneuma in them number six um in all the days of his dedication to yahweh he shall not come near a dead soul um so unlike the the greeks who just really seem to focus on the respiration aspect the nephesh seems to encompass living things, dead things, um, but that doesn't create a quandary for the definition, though, does it? Oh, absolutely not. Um, if you had something that was functioning a certain way, like a car junkyard, or the cars are dead cars, uh, you can't deny that those dead cars were, were cars. You know, they have fuel pumps, and they were once running around the, you know, being driven around the roads, right? You, you know, it's the same thing. In other words, they're they're dead and they're nephish because they have everything that qualif qualifies and quantifies them to be been a soul. And then we get and then we get into the aspect of the the radical concept of you know the uh, the afterlife or reincarnation or the resurrection, which are all the same. Which that's where the definition of soul starts to become more elaborate and wider use because it's in comparison. The life when you're reincarnated, resurrected, or the afterlife, the the current definition and actual practical usage of what's called a soul and a body is going to seem rather crude and futile. So that's another discussion, perhaps. Yes, I think we will touch on the afterlife aspect of that because you have another slant um, to the word where nephesh, a nephesh can descend into the underworld or um, sheol, as the Israelites would call it. It sometimes depicts the remnant of fallen warriors there, which is an interesting parallel to the Norse myths that talk about Valhalla. But like Ezekiel 31, they will also descend into Sheol, those slain by the sword and its armed forces. Um, and then you also have non-warrior people that end up there. So it becomes a little hard to know exactly what the domain is. But um, it's said that the Nefesh can descend into the unseen or into the Sheol. Does that raise any questions for you? Because if this is really just um, relating to the no. metabolism, why is it in the right. underworld? Well, if, if it's a negative place, a place of torment, whether the endurance or the, the duration of the torment is another factor to consider. But uh, you, if the torment is to torment uh, something with a body, you will be incarnated with a body to be tormented, right? 
So it may not be a complete body that you need on the surface, but it's enough of a body nonetheless. Because the spirit is bodyless, it's material-less. And again, this type of spirit that we have, as far as we know, it goes into complete uh, disanimation, inanimation, right? when there's a lack of a soul and a body. Just like if you ask someone like Jack Fresco said, you know, if you want to know what happens after you die, what do you remember from 500 years ago? Nothing. It's just in a, you are not animated then. It doesn't mean you did not exist. You just were not animated. Just like, again, like going to an old record shop where vinyl records are sitting in the basement for 50 years. You know, when was the last time some, somebody heard that? Right? 50 years ago. It's been quiet since. So, again, animating uh, someone in a, another place is completely uh, plausible and possible and doable. Uh, but they have to be animated. You need some kind of a body. Okay, so let's um, wrap up the stream by talking a bit about the things that I, you touched on before as far as how the philosophers acted and also how that ties into um, the afterlife. Because I think the idea that most people carry around with regards to the human spirit is that it's this immortal essence that lives on after death and either goes to heaven or hell or gets reincarnated. But according to the Greek historian Herodotus, it was the Egyptians who put this idea into circulation. Um, and I'm just going to read a condensed snippet from his book called Histories that talks about that. So, quote, the Egyptians were the first who maintained the following doctrine, that the human soul is immortal. And after passing through all creatures of land, sea and air, it enters once more into the human body at birth, a cycle that it completes every 3000 years. And there are Greeks who have used this doctrine as if it were their own, end quote. So obviously he uses soul interchangeably with spirit. What well, is... as far as far as we can recover in the English, yes. If you can go back and see the oldest surviving document of what he said, I, I beg you to consider uh, that it won't, you wouldn't be reading it that way. Yes, you're right. I should have actually made that note. So in Greek, it would have probably been psyche, and that would have been correct. Um, what have your sort of studies or research revealed on how you know the immortal soul concept came to be taught by all religions as something universal? Well, in a sense, it's a distraction. If you look at what, you know, any of these um, religions do is to distract you, right, uh, through belief. Very simple. Doesn't it sound a lot better that you have a you are an immortal soul, which is not even the right definition? Doesn't it make you feel better so you go back to work? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> it seems more optimistic than telling people the truth. Well, the truth is the most optimistic, but you have to give them the whole truth, and that takes too long, because they've already wasted 12,000 hours in government school or private school. However, people think they're so proud because they went to a good university or private school. What fools. Anyway, uh, if you're not self-educated, you're not educated. So you've got to keep them optim optimistic, because they're already worn out. 12 years of uh, crap. Uh, they don't want it. They've had enough. Now it's time to have fun, get drunk, have sex, you know, sleep, uh, get, you know, uh, new toys. I'm not even going to touch the subject of the immortal soul because we just define soul. So it would be the immortal spirit. It's it. It's not that the spirit dies. It goes into disanimation. There's no decomposition like the body when it dies. When the soul dies, it ceases to function. That's how you kill it. Right. So through the body, by the way. So the, if you contemplate the first uh, 15 minutes of the sonic event, 
well, the definitions that I gave, that'll answer all that stuff. But you have to be a contemplative person. A contemplative person will look at, you know, if someone looks at uh, a menu and it's uh, beans, potatoes, bread, pasta, they'll say, oh, look at all these choices. But if someone's contemplative, they'll look at that and they'll say, oh, that's all starch. Hmm. Well, do you have any thoughts on, in the similar way, I think, to the way that the Latin seems deliberately meant to obscure things? The, the Egyptians seem to have thrown a lot of falsehoods into the mix that have been able to persist even to this day. Let me, let me just interject something in there. I invite you to consider that those that are purveying and providing what the Egyptians supposedly said are doing it. I don't think the Egyptians did. I think the Egyptians were far more enlightened and far more dedicated to uh, what they were doing. And uh, I, don't, I don't think it was direct, directly in line with, uh, let's say, the, the Most High God. That's why when you read an Exodus, the purpose of everything you read about an Exodus was to war with the Egyptian gods. But I think the Egyptians uh, had had pretty much together. I wouldn't say that uh, when you can compare them to other societies, they wouldn't be considered moral uh, or, or um, let's say, well, what do you, what do you, justified? But they were correct within their own system. And if you look at it carefully, you'll see that uh, they interweave between uh, the lives of the gods and human lives and how they aspire to be like the gods. And all of a sudden they have an immortal spirit, you see, where we know later on uh, that the, the spirit cannot is not immortal. See, when when the spirit becomes disanimated, it's just disanimated, but it can be destroyed. Like, a, in other words, you can have a computer. I have several of them with hard drives that something in the hardware went bad and I can't access the computer if I take out the, the information on the computer. But if I remove the hard drive, I can I can animate the hard drive through another device and get the information. You see, that's what happens when you die or before you were alive. But what you can also do is corrupt and destroy that hard drive. Right. So is that killing? No, it's more corrupting and destroying. So the spirits can be destroyed. Whether they're, they can be destroyed while they're being animated, while they're animated, or um, uh, while they're in the, you know, downloaded and disanimated. Just like walking into a, a room that has files, you know, computer files, you know, on, on disks and destroying that room. Okay. I wouldn't say it's killing the spirit because the spirit, you cannot kill a spirit. It's either animated or not animated, and then it, it could be destroyed. It's information. Can you kill your hard drive? No, it's either animated or not animated, and but you can destroy it, so the information is lost. Yes, I follow you, and I also think it's worth um, highlighting this thing that you talked about a bit earlier. That the reason for so much confusion and obfuscation with regards to this subject is that the religious and philosophical leaders had a habit of lying to the common people or telling the truth only to the elites and not really caring about the masses. And I just wanted to quote some uh, a text from the Greek historian Polybius, which I thought was interesting in his book, The Histories, which is, quote, it is the very thing which, among other people, is an object of reproach, that is, superstition, which maintains the cohesion of the Roman state. They have adopted this course for the sake of the common people. It is a course which perhaps would have not been necessary had it been possible to form a state composed of wise men, but as every multitude is full of lawless desires and violent anger, the multitude must be held in by invisible terrors and pageantry. 
For this reason, I think not that the ancients acted rashly in introducing among the people notions concerning the gods and beliefs in the terrors of Hades, end quote. So sure, it's a, why not? Or, yeah. or a pandemic that, right, or viruses, that, you know, that, you know, or, or, or terrorists, right? It's got to be a, a verb that becomes an adjective, which becomes a noun, and it's all fiction. Fiction, if you want to know the, the effects of fiction, well, uh, uh, set up a camera facing the audience at a movie theater and watch their faces while they're watching that fiction, you know, called a movie or a television, right? And imagine their whole life is in that position, kind of like Plato's cave, right? So it's all fiction. And again, it's been going on for thousands of years, which is no big deal. It's only a few days. Uh, I'd say about a week. You'll see. Here's the thing. I don't want anyone to believe what I'm saying because the Greek is saying it. Uh, I've actually disconnected relations with people, meaning communications and associations with people that I found out were just saying, you know, promoting, well, the Greek said it, so it must be true. That's, you've got to make it your own uh, by researching and uh, knowing these things. So if you believe in something because uh, someone said it, uh, you're, in, you're in deep doo-doo. The reason why I say these things, again, is so uh, people that are wise uh, will file it away uh, for a more pertinent time. Like, for example, if you look at 99% uh, of all the world events, whether it's the quote-unquote uh, quote pandemic or economic uh, or social changes that people are seeing in the, in the pagan year of 2020, I've prefaced this in the past 10 years, all of it. Not specifics, like it's going to be done this way, but all of the outcomes, including there will be no more uh, of these conventional holidays, right? the economic system, all this other stuff. So just to interject this kind of current events, they're calling it about the, the new normal, for example. What you were living before was the new normal, because if you study real world history, quote unquote normalcy ended 150 years ago, and you, they've been putting on quite the show for the past 150 years. And now it's just like, why do we need, these people are so apathetic. Um, and, and none of them really even spend a minute in their lives to research anything. You know, they want someone to tell them what it, what it means. Uh, it's time that we just pull the plug on this uh, BS show and start reorganizing this, right? This is what's happening this year. And I've, I've gone over this. And what's, what the outcome is going to be is a focus on the Middle East and um, as, the, uh, as the world hub of attention, which still hasn't come into fruition, but it will by what you call 2025. So the fakery that's been portrayed and emphasized for the past 150 years is run out of um, quote unquote credit and it's run out of uh, impetus. There's no reason for it anymore. There actually wasn't any reason for it ever, but there, that's just the way the higher forces allowed it to be. So it is. So I just want to remind people that if anyone here has ever been listening to Greek speak for more than, let's say, a few years, you, you, you know exactly what's going on and where it's going to lead to, meaning human society. And it has nothing to do with uh, how much you can endure, but it's just how much, you know, when, when things are meant to happen. Yeah, we've talked about these things a little bit before, but um, there's always room to delve into them a little bit more. 
it's also evident to me that you know the Greeks did sort of a similar things like the Romans had done. Um, obviously, history speaks very highly of Pythagoras, but it was known that he had sort of like one teaching for his inner circle. And I think the Christian writer Origen talked about that when he wrote, Pythagoras divided his disciples into classes, the one he called esoteric and the other he called exoteric. In the former, he trusted the more perfect and sublime doctrines into the latter, the more popular and vulgar. Um, and similar things are said about Plato. Strabo wrote that Plato, quote unquote, invents fables also on the immortality of the spirit and on punishment in Hades, end quote. And so I point all that out just to emphasize that these notions were sort of debated like way before Christianity, um, and the Christians didn't even really adopt them as far as like immortality of the spirit. It took like centuries of Gnostic and Roman Catholic influence for those things to become dogmas. Mm -hmm. Well, just like, let's say, uh, a, a detour again, the Assyrians uh, donned uh, crosses in their costume jewelry or in their day-to-day -day, um, attire just like Christians do today. And that was about 900 BC. So it, it's, it's just uh, fashion, but you know, some fashion, it doesn't have to be a tread trend that, that fades. It's, um, you know, like look at, uh, for example, in the automotive, I see some car companies are reviving like, uh, the style of cars that they were producing, uh, 50 years ago. So yeah, it's just recycled stupidity. But again, you know, uh, let me give you an example. Um, the humans are, are not only anti-intellectual, but they, they like to shed responsibility and, and more, on, from a moral point of view. For example, if you uh, talk to an older person, uh, I'd say all, most, most of the older people, if not all of them, that are supposed to be respected and have wisdom. Yeah, right. Um, they'll tell you, well, I, I won't be around for that. So, you, you know, I, I don't care. I, I won't be alive for that, right? How many times have you heard that? Yeah. So there is no responsibility uh, pretty much with anyone, uh, whether it's moral, ethical, intellectual, that you'll find young or old. So it seems like there's a mindset, an overarching theme to society, because if you go to older people and you say, well, if we don't do something the future generations will be, you know, thus, they'll say, well, I don't care. I'm not going to be here for that. They almost always say that, almost all of them. If you find an older person that uh, doesn't say that, it's extremely rare. So if you, you know, you almost say that none of them really have any moral or ethical responsibility. So, so there seems to be an overarching being, something that is guiding this, where even the, the older the leaders, well, I should, those that are senior in your society, uh, at best, are still lacking of any morality, ethics, or responsibility. But there is something that is carrying this on, you see. Yeah, I have noticed that. Um, it's hard to really, it's like some kind of group think or some kind of like mass think that's really hard to put your finger on. Right. In other words, the, the seniority in your society is still infantile compared to a being that considers the way society operates for thousands of years as part of its life. In other words, you have a, a being on the earth, a spirit or a mindset that is supposed to uh, be a certain way for a long time where most people don't notice and it evades them even though they're partaking and supporting it. In other words, when you run into an older person and you tell them about possible future outcomes and they retort by saying, 
well, I don't care because I won't be here then. Well, what good are they? They're supposed to be the bastions of wisdom and experience and guidance for society, and they're pretty worthless, right? That's why they pump them up with drugs and slap diapers on them and sticking them in nursing homes, you know? So it's well-deserved, obviously, you know? So what I'm trying to say here is that the things that are that people are seeing are the results of a life form that is not human. Because how can a human, even at the end of their lives, where it's touted through tradition, they're the ones to go to for guidance, have no guidance light at all. They're as dark as the bottom of your shoe. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is humanity for a long time has been passed off to the side and is a side note. Because generation after generation, no one seems to care. So there's something alive that has a life that is that is a life of the things that you see society being for so long that when its life is over, society will cease being that way. See, it's no longer wait for the older people to die like in ancient times so things can change. Because the older people are already dead. They, already, they died when they were 10 years old, 12 years old. They got assimilated into this mindset, right? So there's a there's an over there. In other words, human society. Said in other words, is five times already. Human society in itself should be viewed as a life form that it was infantile, adolescent, mature, and then senior. And then when that life goes away, which represents human society, then that's when you'll have a, the new human society on this planet. It has nothing to do with the actual spans of people, you know, older people or younger people. Because the older people are not any wiser or smarter or able to edify anyone any more than, let's say, someone, you know, a 15-year-old with a, I was going to say Palm Pilot, a smartphone, right? A 15-year-old with a smartphone has got just as much in, as wisdom and anything as an 85-year-old, you know, a retired college professor. Doesn't know anything more than a modern 12. So it shows you that Humanity has been brushed aside and made irrelevant when the elderly are in, in the way that they are. Yes, there is a certain melancholy in pondering those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're on your own, I mm. tell people. And you've been on your own for a long time. Okay. I think we've gone through most of the things that I thought of for this. I guess my final question is, like, what does the true concept of death then imply to humanity since we know that the immortality aspect is just farcical at least of the of the spirit like we have sheol slash hades and then we have disanimation and what comes after that if not heaven or hell well imagine you had a, a die a dice right that you throw and there are two numbers instead of uh, six numbers on each dice with all the combinations of the two dice there was just uh, two numbers so you knew that you either throw the two numbers or one or the other, a combination of one or the other, very few combinations. That's what life and death is about. Just hope that when you die, it's not painful because, you know, we don't like pain, right? And unlike the, in Tibetan culture where they say when you feel pain and, you know, relish it because, you know, if you're experiencing pain, it's meant for you to experience in pain, quote unquote, experience it. And so you know what pain is. But uh, in essence, what I mean about rolling the dice with just two numbers is you will be reanimated or you will not. You will be destroyed. Uh, as far as we can see in the biblical convention, the Hindu convention, and the Islamic actually all the, the religious texts, like what's called loosely religious texts, everyone is reanimated except for a very, very small 
a few uh, of both worlds, meaning the human world and the non-human world, gods or demons, uh, some will be destroyed. Uh, but the majority, the great majority, and the greatest majority will be reanimated. So between now and then, just hope that your death isn't painful and you don't have to suffer a 20th century or 21st century medicine or anything like that. But you're not immortal. Uh, your, your soul dies when your body dies, and your spirit has nothing to do with mortality. It has to do with being animated or disanimated and destroyed. Very simple. Put it together. The faster you put this together, the easier you'll be able to uh, make proper uh, uh, adjustments and uh, thoughts when you're contemplating things. Cool. Well, thank you, Greek. Um, yeah, I think that covers everything that um, we needed to talk about in this stream. Um, and yeah, I think it's a good note on which to conclude. Uh, any closing remarks, Greek? Uh, no, no, not really. Uh, to be continued, perhaps. Yes, of course. We have quite a few more of these left to do. Um, so thank you to everybody who tuned in, and we hope to see you at the next stream.